Welcome to GOB with Christy and Kathy, where we talk about writing, reading, and life in between. I'm Christy in South Florida. I'm Kathy in South Dakota. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and crime fiction. We have interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors on our Corks and Conversation episodes. And don't forget our Words in Progress episodes where we have fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us for today's episode. Welcome to Corks and Conversation with Lori Stevens. Yes, I'm, I'm so looking forward to talking to her, Kathy. I mean, she sounds like she has an interesting life and her Gabriel McRae character is very, this whole series is very addicting. And yeah. I just, I wanna ask her also about that fact that she's a hybrid author, which she calls a hybrid author. Yeah, it's, I'm very interested in that too. I think lots of people are going to be. Um, and I love this book and I can't wait to get into it with her. But first let's talk about Lori herself. As okay. Christy said, she is the author of the Gabriel McRae thriller series. I'm holding up the latest that we're going to be talking about today in I'll Twilight. Hold it up too, so you can. Yeah. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty creepy. Um, her books, <laughs> her books have won 12 awards. Among them, the Kirkus Review's Best of, a Random House Editor's Book of the Month. I mean, this is this is a pretty new series, and she's run a lot of awards. In regards to writing thrillers, Suspense Magazine says Lori is the leader of the pack of writing psychological suspense. Not bad, right? Mm-hmm. She co-edited the 2019 Sisters in Crime anthology um, called Fatally Haunted. She's written short stories that have appeared in numerous anthologies and magazines. She is an active member of Mystery Writers of America, International Thriller Writers, um, Sisters in Crime, and she lives where her books are set in the hills outside of Los Angeles with her husband, Two Snakes, which I do have an issue with, and we're going to have to. Oh, listen. we're going to have to ask about yeah. that. <laughs> and a cat. So um, with that, Lori, thank you for being with us. It's so nice to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yay. <laughs> so the first thing first, we're talking about the wine. Lori, you suggested this tapis. That's what I'm going to go with. Tapis Malbec. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this, this is from Argentina and it's Spanish for tapestry, which if you oh. can see the label, it looks like little different squares, like a tapestry maybe or something but it taught but they have the fruit the land the sun and the workers that's what those symbols are for that's cool yeah it's kind of cool but what i like is this big 93 because yeah. 93s are good <laughs> at least according to james stuckart James Stuckart likes to talk about wines and rate them and anything over 90 is good. So 93 is really good. And so it's a great wine to ease back into drinking wine after January. So it has, go ahead and taste it, you guys. It's got okay. red fruits with blackberries and plums and they're interspersed with aromas of flowers and spicy notes. Oh, and there's it oak is. aging <laughs> provides vanilla and toasted almond notes, balanced and voluminous. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I love a Malbec anyway, but that is very nice. It's yes. Nice. I think Robert Stuckert was right. Mm. <laughs> Delicious. Delicious. Good choice, Lori. 
Yes. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's get into and talk about our Gabriel McRae. And this um, is the latest. It's called In Twilight's Hush. And in this is the fourth entry. Um, He is investigating a cold case and involving a missing teenager from um, 1988. And as he's investigating this, he has a little competition. He has a celebrity psychic that also is, is drawn to the case, let's say. He's having all kinds of strange, what, dreams, nightmares. He's getting married. <laughs> he's this poor guy. Some, he's got a lot going on. Uh, he's got some things going on. Um, and he realizes that this cold case is not nearly as cold as one would think. So mm-hmm. I want to start talking about Detective um, McRae. I think, first of all, I love Gabriel as a name. I think, I think that's great. My other favorite series is um, features Gabriel Alon from Daniel Silva. So I love that. I know. That's what I kept thinking every time. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is love Gabriel Alon. Yeah. I like that name. So, you know, LA, kind of a gritty detective with some pretty difficult background i kept thinking i kept thinking harry bosch this reminds me of harry bosch and i as i read it it i mean there were some similarities right there's a lot of dark and then light right so he's a he's a gritty detective who's seen some pretty hard things in life he's getting married he likes yeah so you have a little bit of his (laughs) his personal life you know blending in kind of like harry bosch did yeah yeah that is interesting so where did he come from in your imagination? Where did this detective come from? I, I just was trying to imagine sort of a, a macho type cop who had a little bit of a broken history inside. And this sort of tough guy persona was uh, totally hiding something. And I kind of built the character around that in the first book. He's really messed up in this book, The Dark Before Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, Gabriel, but you've got some issues. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, he from the first book to this to the fourth book is you just you just go through his entire progression. And I it's always been, you know, mental health has always been very important to me. It's one of my the charities that I support is um the San Fernando Valley Center for Mental Health. And I just feel that uh, I wanted to write about a character that I could really get into his psyche and show someone coping from victim to survivor and do all the steps. And I was interested in that myself. So I hit up a lot of psychiatrists that I knew and everyone's a writer in LA. So even psychiatrists. <laughs> so I'm like, I'll edit your book and I'll, I'll, I'll help you out. But you know, can you, can you give me, and people gave me boxes of research material. Oh my gosh. I have a friend who, in fact, I did edit her book. <laughs> she is a psychologist who specialized in trauma of that sort. And she gave me textbooks and things that, uh, you know, I'm sure she was happy to clean out her garage. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's an ulterior motive there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I've I've hit I've taken a lot of uh, professionals out to dinner and wine, wined and dined <laughs> to do to, to research because it was very important to me to get the research right on. And right. the best compliment I ever got was a guy who wrote me from a and people who've heard me talk have heard this a million times. So I'm sorry I repeat. It's <laughs> new to us. It's new but, to us. The, really, he he wrote me via his mother because you can't write someone from prison. But he he's serving time, 
but he wrote and he said that in the prison system, they don't really do anything but offer medication. There's no really no therapy. You don't sit down with a therapist. And he found the therapy in the books and the four books to be very helpful to him. Interesting. Wow. That was like a, a very nice compliment. Yeah. Yeah, that is great. Yeah. So I, I, I definitely could see that you like really, I, I felt like, oh yeah, I'm learning stuff and you knew your stuff. It wasn't just like kind of superficial. And I find it very interesting that you wrote the main character of a man. Oh yeah, that's true. You know, because usually we kind of, you know, are always channeling women, but I didn't feel like he was, I felt like you did a really good job of doing a man because mental health with men is often kind of taboo and things like that. And you covered that, how he was fighting it. And then he decided, okay, I need to get better. So it was really, it was really good how you did that. And do you know a guy that needed mental health work? No, I wanted to make the character a male because mm -hmm. I think that women fall into the, the role of victim. I mean, it's a role that we know, and it's more accepted by society. You know, of course, this there's rape victims, there's abuse, women of, you know, right. domestic violence. It's very under, it's very easy to understand a woman, but I wanted to, it, it does, there, these things happen to men too. And mm -hmm. I wanted, for some reason, when you talk about channeling a character, it, the chant, the, the character just came in male and yeah. it, it, it suited me fine because mm -hmm. at the time, the time I was doing all my research was be, before like the, the church scandals and everything of, of the sexual abuse. And, and so male abuse in that way was very underserved by psychotherapy. And the idea that if you're a man and you do get abused, you must not be much of a man. And that mm -hmm. was sort of society's outlook to it. I think it's still present today in a lot of ways. I hope it's better. I mean, I really, it, I think it is better, but I think it's still, it's interesting. You know, they always kind of say, okay, this abuse victim. And it seems like they're always talking about women. So I think that's a unique take. I like that. I think the other, you know, another layer to his character is yes. Abuse victim, male cop. And, you know, we expect our cops to be above need, you know, of their own. And that's so unrealistic. And I mean, what any cop would see, even if they come with a healthy background on a daily basis requires, one would think a therapeutic approach on a regular basis. And unfortunately, I don't think that that's nearly readily enough for just their interactions. But so when you add in to somebody who's already come into this, you know, kind of system where we're all good and we're fine, we have to take care of everybody else. That's a, that's a really multifaceted approach. Yeah. I mean, you, you hear, it's funny because in the first book, I mentioned that he was on suspension for police brutality. Mm -hmm. And then nowadays you're hearing it's, it's just so much in the forefront where these things are making the news and I'm not trying to excuse it at all, but there might be something behind yeah. a person acting out like that. Of course, mm -hmm. you know, and to your point, Kathy, when you said that, are they getting the help that they need to cope with their daily stresses? We don't, we don't know. So this sort of, 
Yeah, I mean, when you ask the question, where did the character come from? It's kind of all of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why he's so rich. I mean, I think there's so much to him. As a reader, I found him to be a very attractive character in many different ways that I think it's because of the nuances and the layers that you've built into him. So especially because for me, I'm new to the series. I'm going back now, just saying. I'm sure everyone will want to. Because um, I want to see what like you said. He was really a mess in the first one. I'd love to see Mm -hmm. that progression and that growth. That's always really fun. Yeah. So, you know, one thing that you're known for is writing. Well, I guess you you tell me the term. Is it psycho thrillers or (laughs) psychological thrillers? I call it psychological suspense. Psychological suspense. And so tell us how that's nuanced, because I get overwhelmed by all of those different classifications. Well, a thriller... um, I think the easiest way to put it would be a thriller would be like someone uh, rushes in and says there's a bomb somewhere in this room and everyone in the room is locked in and we're all going to die unless the, the hero finds it and disarms it. That's a thriller. A psychological thriller would be we're all locked in a room and the hero's there and the hero has to get the bomb but the hero is claustrophobic. So doesn't like being locked in the room with everybody (laughs) and is struggling with that. And that's the difference, I guess. (laughs) You have have someone who's freaking out (laughs) while they're having to disarm (laughs) the bomb. (laughs) It reminds me of, um, oh, I just watched, the Da Vinci Code. I remember how um, Robert Langdon, the, the protagonist, is claustrophobic, and he's like, it opens, and he's in the elevator, and you think he's going to pass out just from being in the elevator. Oh yeah, I remember and that. You think, well, this isn't going to go well. There's a dead body. You can't handle an elevator. How are you going to handle a dead body? Sorry. Yeah, that, that's the <laughs> psychological element. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that, so that has a little bit. So much more fun you know, yeah. to, to add that psychological element in it, because then your characters can be as just wacky as you want them to be. <laughs> right, <laughs> so. right, right. All right. You know, so are you continuing on this series or I'm jumping ahead, but I'm just uh-huh. curious. Well, I, I've, I've been asked to write a fifth and I, and I, I, I will, <laughs> but, but I actually have um, changed genres. I've skipped a little bit. Um, oh, ooh, writing exciting. Actually, I finished it, a young adult sci-fi. So for me, it's um, a real jump because I didn't intend it to be sci-fi, but my editor was looking at it and said, this is a young adult book. And it's got, to me, it wasn't sci-fi because what I did, I love research, as you can tell from the the game uh, boxes. <laughs> yeah. So I've been doing a lot of research on all the technical advancements that we're going to be seeing in the next maybe 25, 50 years. And boy, it's happening really fast and it blows your mind. And mm-hmm. so I've just set a book in that time. And it's, it's, it's just what happens with people as they get very dependent on artificial intelligence and oh yeah what happens to them and then what happens to them when they don't have it anymore and that's all oh that's going to be good <laughs> that's going to be good cuz honestly i think those things too you know i'm like oh my goodness that was a really good pitch by the way yeah. oh thank you and, and, 
A free quarter. Uh oh. <laughs> okay, so I think it's time, perfect time to take a little drink of wine and segue into um, the question in the bottle. It's a question, Lori, that might come up when you get towards the bottom of a bottle. We pick a random question, but no one ever has, so we just want you to know that. Oh, yeah. She's more. Oh, this is a nice one. This is a very nice one. You're scaring okay. me. I need to no, no, no. It's not scary. It's not scary. Okay. So if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? And I want to add why. That wasn't on the question, but I want to know why. <laughs> hmm. Okay. I don't need to sound idiotic, but I would probably continue just wearing where I'm living. I just wish it would rain more. Um, uh -huh. I have, I've traveled a lot of places and I've seen places in, and there's so many times that I just go, I want to live here. Oh my God. Could you imagine living here? You know, you're yeah. in Europe somewhere. Of course you want to live in that place. Mm -hmm. And I guess in my, my fantasies, fantasies, you know, maybe on a lake somewhere or on a beach somewhere, but I, I live in the hills and I really love the mountains. I go hiking a lot. So I have to say, I like, I like where I'm at. You know, there's oh, that's things refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> there's things I'd love to change. You know, I could really knock off some of the drivers that cut me off. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very LA thing. South Florida is like that too. It's scary. Yeah. But uh, should we have here? <laughs> I, do, I do like the hills. I love the mountains. Mm -hmm. And I love hiking in them. We are suffering the effects of drought and that's sad, but I don't believe in running away. I think you have to try to, I, I also volunteer um, for an environmental group, a resource conservation district of the Santa Monica mountains. And that, that to me, I, I think it's important to give back in many ways. And for me, that helps me support the environment. So mm -hmm. that's how I look at it. Yeah. Now, have you built your house to protect it, be protected or do you have mitigation things from fire around you or is that no we are in a high fire zone i've gone through two major forest fires two, oh, two wow. major where we've come climbed up the top of our hill and we've seen a wall of flames just heading oh my gosh or where so the, scary the cops have pounded on the door saying there's embers flying everywhere you got to cut out and we would just pack our cars, get out of town. One time we were out for six days and I was seeing on the news, they were announcing our address on the, on the, on the news. And I'm like, I looked at my husband and I said, well, there goes everything. Um, and it's a really weird thing when you think about losing everything you have, everything, right. every, every scrapbook, every memento, every piece of clothing. And it's weird also when you pack up, you know, for evacuating, because right. I took a, a, a new pair of shoes that were had high heels. I'm like, you're wearing, <laughs> you're wearing sweats and you're glued to the television, watching the fire. <laughs> you don't need high heels. Wow. Um, and so uh, I've learned. I think I would get like a trailer, like one of those trailers and just have all my you know, like mementos in that trailer. And so when any, anybody's over and we're like, oh, where's that yearbook? I'll go out to the trailer and get it. And oh, then then so when the fire comes, I'll just hook it on the trailer hitch and 
<laughs> really strange reality to live with, I bet. Yeah, that's it is. Tough. It, it gives you a, an interesting perspective. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can make your house. Don't plant palm trees; they go up like torches. Um, oh, interesting. There's things you can do to mitigate a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. we we do a mandatory brush clearance every year, every every June, and you have to clear at least 100 feet away. But now they have new interesting things about that. They found that fires, when they get on their own volition, they'll just swoop. And if there's nothing to stop them, like you've gotten rid of all the brush, that actually can make it worse sometimes. Oh, interesting. Oh, my goodness. So, crazy. So we have yeah. a lot of oak trees. Oak trees are your friend. Oh, okay. I like oak. <laughs> oak trees are good because they absorb so much more moisture from the ground, from the roots, or why are they fire retardant? I wonder. They're hardy trees and they will battle the blaze for you. So instead of that whooshing action that you get, you get they you'll get these oak trees sort of battling the blaze. The fire sort of has to deal with them and they're pretty hardy. A lot of times oak trees can stand up. As wow. long as their yeah. crown isn't um, burned, they're, they, they can. We have oaks down here. We have live oaks, and they do good in hurricanes, actually. Do they? So. See? Mm -hmm. Oak trees are hardy. <laughs> okay, let's have a drink. Onward. I okay. want to hear, hear about this whole publishing thing, Christy. I'm very curious. I know. I know. Because I know that you, I'm, well, you tell us the story. Yeah. How did you become a hybrid publisher? The authors we've talked to tend to or be author. either in one camp or the other. And it sounds like you're, you're, you've done both or are in both. Um, I had every intention to be traditionally published. Um, it was the way that I wanted to go. However, I just, when I was, I even took out to lunch. I mean, I said earlier about whining and dining. <laughs> um, I even took out to lunch the gentleman who wrote the book, book proposal, or I think it's called book report or something, but he was the premier how to write the perfect book proposal. I had done the dark before dawn in a book proposal, sent it out. I couldn't get arrested. And <laughs> I just, so I had co-produced a play in Los Angeles with a friend of mine. And one of the songwriters in the, it was a musical. One of the songwriters had published a book and I'm thinking, you don't even write. How did you publish a book? I'm sitting there knocking my head against the wall, trying to get an agent, trying to get publishing. Oh, I just published. I'm like, what? And he said, there's this thing called Create Space, and it's through Amazon. So I immediately looked it up and I went, oh my God, you can do your own books now. This was back in the day a little bit. Mm -hmm. I did it. I, I went online and I did it. And the first time I got that proof of, all the words in print it was like ooh, you know it was very thrilling and so I just went with it and I decided there was not going to be anything that I was going to be barred from so whatever like when I called MWA they said well you're self-published so you can only get affiliate status you're not going to get active status and I was perturbed by that so I would go through the bylaws and I found ways that you could get active status but what I did was uh, I just continued and then I, I, I published the second book, but it was still bothering me. I still wanted that affirmation of being traditionally mm -hmm. published. So I had joined a, a writer's organization called Alley, and it's the Alliance. Oh, I forgot what it's called. It's A-L-L-I. 
A-L-L-I, and you can look it up. And uh, I even know the woman's name is, her name is Orna Ross, but they're based in Ireland, I think. And they were Ooh. saying that they were having this, not a contest, but that a very prestigious literary agency in London called A.M. Heath was, they were looking at, at independently published authors and you could submit and you could possibly sell world rights to them. And so I did it and I got uh, in touch with an agent and she at first rejected them. She said they're tremendous reads, but with the economy being what it is and yeah, <laughs> so I've heard it. I've heard everything in the book. Um, mm -hmm. So at that time, um, I had run a promotion and it was through BookBub and it became a featured deal. And I got at that time, which now you can get way more, but I got 70,000 downloads of the book. Wow. And it also kicked up the sales of the next book. So I only had two books out at that time. And I took a screenshot of the Amazon ranking because it pushed me up to like number two in thrillers. I mean, oh I gosh. have really great rankings. And I took a screenshot and I sent it to the agent in London. And I said, are you sure you don't want to be part of this action? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got a contract FedEx like the next day. So wow. I, I got an agent in London and she it took less than two months and she'd sold the two books to Random House. And um, the, uh, they were published in the German Germanic world, not just Germany. Um, and they were published and they paid me I got my best payday through that. And that was fun. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so do they still publish, you know, each time you come out with a new one? Or are they, they going through that? The or? Two, and then um, I haven't hit them up. That agent left. And I just sort of continued on with my merry way. But it was just kind of a funny thing. What I told the MWA, which is the Mystery Writers of America, mm -hmm. is they said, we don't want to give you active status because you independently publish. And I said, have you ever heard of random house? And they yeah, said, well, good. they said that's random house, Germany. Um, you, your books have to be available in the United States. And I said, have you ever heard of the internet? Have you heard of Amazon? <laughs> a little company called Amazon. Yeah. You can go to Amazon DE and you can get those books sent right to your United States address. Is it, it, is it the same? I'm sure you must have changed things at MWA because now I think you can probably be independent. I think so. They've changed the, the bylaws quite a bit. But I don't know exactly, uh, you know, because we're, we're not, we're just the other level, right, Kathy? What are, what is our level at MWA? Unpublished? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so when, so this is number four. So three and four, you're still publishing through the Amazon um, imprints, yeah. is that or the self-publishing on Amazon? Yeah. And how does that work? Like how how much work do you put into the marketing and all of the actual? Right. I'm so curious because um, I feel like authors, if you're traditionally published, you still have to work on your marketing. And if you're self-published, you have to work. So I'm just curious, how much time does it take to do the business side of things? What I've noticed. I mean, I thought with Random House that they would do 
a ton of marketing for me. And I have to say that it just, it's, I don't know. I, I Pretty think lame. It, yeah, it was, they, mm-hmm. I mean, it got, one of the books got editor's best pick of the month. But I mean, as far as reviews, like let's send it out for reviews. I even said to them, I will, if you just tell me where to book it, I will go on, I will make my own book tour, but I Mm -hmm. need your media. And they said, well, it's proprietary. And I said, you just paid me to be an author with you. Right. Like, don't you want me to, I'm willing to do the work, but Mm -hmm. it was, um, I don't know, maybe budget. That's frustrating. I, I have no idea. So I figure you have to work just as hard, whether you're traditionally published in, in marketing Uh or whether you are independently published. The thing about being independently published is that you do have a lot of control. Although my experience with the traditional publishing house, they were very nice, very open. They sent me all the cover art and wanted my approval ahead of time. And I heard that that doesn't usually happen. They they tell you what your cover is going to be, but I thought their cover art was fabulous. Right. See if I had the book, I have one of them with me. This was Toda Schuld. Um, this is this oh, is a cover. it shows the yeah. camera tell, but it's the skyline of LA in the back with the yeah. fire and fire. And the one that they did for um, let me see if I can find the book. I'm not disappearing. <laughs> this is the one they did for Ooh. I, I thought that was really creepy. Really? Yeah. yeah. So that. I thought all of you guys out there, you got to look on YouTube. Yeah, you do. So, so, but when you're doing the ones yourself on Amazon, you're hiring your own cover art yourself. What's that process like? Like I said, I have friends. (laughs) (laughs) Something I always taught my kids. If you don't ask, you don't get. And Mm -hmm. um, I have wonderful friends. Um, One of my friends did the first two books did the cover art, had to put up with all the Amazon stuff. And Mm -hmm. these are not as um, artistic, I guess you would say, as the other two, but these showed up so good as thumbnails when compared. Right. They're very catchy. Yeah. They're like photograph more than art. You know, I feel like you're like, oh, it just, yeah. they just would stand out the thumbnail, you know, when you have a zillion books on a page and you're only talking about a little stamp size uh-huh. square, those two stood out like bling. Um, and then, interesting. then these two were done by my friend, Scott Templeton. First ones were done by my friend, David Vieira, who, who used to design rock posters. So those were those. Okay. This one was done by a reality TV producer. And his name is Scott Templeton, and he is so talented. And he did this one. He bought the prop, the skull, and he put it in a creek. And he sunk an underwater camera and took the picture of it. He's like, that's really underwater, you know? And I'm like, really? You didn't have to do that. Couldn't you put this on the computer? That is going (laughs) above and beyond or actually below. Wow, that's really cool. He probably had a lot of fun doing it, though. He yeah. did. He did. Yeah. So, um, no, I have I have some good friends that. Like, well, that's great. There. <laughs> it's fascinating. Well, we're impressed. Yeah. I know. I love hearing everyone's different winding roads to 
getting their book into readers' hands. And I think that's mm-hmm. so fascinating. So it's been fun hearing mm-hmm. that. Christy yep. has a final question for me, I believe. Okay. Yes. Um, so we asked this of all our authors. Um, and it appeases the pe- our foodies out there. Um, which of your characters would you like to share a meal with and what would it be? Oh, it would definitely be Gabriel because yes. he's an amateur gourmet chef. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. Is so he going to cook would, it for you too? <laughs> oh, I definitely ask him to cook it. Oh yeah, he'd be a much better cook than me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. I love how he chose all of the food for his wedding and was concerned about everyone's opinions about it. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's still insecure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so what what do you think he would cook you? Well, I know he makes birria. Um but I think I would probably have him make salmon in paper. Salmon, it's called. Oh, oh like a papillot. Yeah. Yeah. And because okay. um, that's actually one thing that I, I, I think I have him make. <laughs> mm. And can um, we come too? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's Lori. Great. Our listeners are going to want to find out more about you and your books. What's the best way for them to do that? Uh, you could go either to Amazon or Barnes and Noble there, the I'm listed there or BookBub or Kobo. But if you want to, my website is www.loriestevensbooks.com. And that's with a V. Stevens with a V. (laughs) V And Lori, (laughs) L-A-U-R-I. I've gotten it many different ways. Anyway, thank you so much well, for having me. Yeah, this pleasure. thanks for coming. This is this has been a lot of fun. And I'm so glad we had a Mal back and that was fun too. So I guess we can just say cheers. 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 <laughs> thanks for joining us for today's episode. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube where you can watch and listen. On GameOfBooksPodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter and enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you that we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers.